0: We now go before the Lord with a prayer of intercession, a crown jewel amongst prayers in the life of the church as we pray for the needs of the kingdom throughout the world. Let us now go before the Lord in prayer. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, a joy to come before you as your children, the children of the true and living God. We come, O Lord, seeking your counsel, your guidance, your wisdom, your answer. We thank you, O Lord, by your Spirit that your Spirit dwells. He dwells within us, interceding for us, and by that intercession, our hearts also are spurred to intercede for one another. We pray, O Lord, for our civil realm over us. We live in a world that is marred by war, and so we, O Lord, lift up our own government's military, particularly those who are... Christians there within it. We think of the chaplains that seek to serve the spiritual needs of those who are in service, but also the Christians, perhaps within our own congregation, but throughout the PCA itself. We pray, O Lord, that through their service, not only our freedoms would be protected, but through their service, O Lord, they would grow in a closer relationship with you. That by their witness, they would lead those who are alongside them to Christ himself, that through their work in our military, not only would our profession of faith be protected here with freedom, but that their profession of faith to Christ would be faithful to one another whom they serve along with. Be with our chaplains, many whom are ordained in the Presbyterian Church in America who serve in these various contexts. We pray, Lord, that you'd use them even now, even on this Lord's Day, to draw many to you and to your kingdom. We also pray, O oh Lord, for the mission work of the church. We think of the Wadhams that serve in Washington State. We pray, O oh Lord, that as they serve the Indian tribes there, that you would bless their ministry. Though this is often um, an impoverished people group, we pray, O oh Lord, that in Christ you would make them rich and in their profession and faith in Christ, that their communities would grow in grace and in truth. We pray, O Lord, for this family as they serve in this context, that you would use them well and mightily, that by their witness to Christ, there may be more witnesses to Christ. We pray, O Lord, whatever the needs of their family are at this moment, that you would meet them, O Lord, that you'd encourage them, that you'd send more missionaries their way to help serve, among them, as they seek to represent Christ, even to this group. We also pray, O Lord, for those who are lost. We think of those who are lost in Africa this Lord's Day morning. There are many, O Lord, millions perhaps. Pray, O Lord, for the church there, a church that has been riddled with false teaching, with prosperity gospel issues. We think of the rise of Islam in Africa, and we pray against that rise, that it would come to an end. So we pray, O oh Lord, for the people on the continent of Africa, that you would use your church there, that you would raise up gospel ministers to go there now, to, pre- to plant churches that faithfully expound upon your scriptures, that, that faithfully a- a- expound upon the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray, O oh Lord, that you would soften the hearts of the African people even now, that may it be so, That men and women would come from Africa and go throughout the world proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. And that they, O Lord, would go to Europe, even perhaps to our own country as missionaries calling for gospel transformation. We pray, O Lord, for the gospel that goes forth there, that you would continue to strengthen the church. We thank you, O Lord, for the men and women that are already in Africa serving our denomination. We think of O'Palmer Robertson, a great father of the faith, who serves as president of African Bible College. We pray, O Lord, that you would continue to use him even there now. We pray also, O Lord, for growth within our own church. We pray, O Lord, that as we take up offering, we are reminded of the work of the deacons among us, and one of those great truths that they are called to expound upon Our congregation is the truth of liberality among us. And so we pray, O Lord, that we would be a congregation that exercises the truth of liberality. That we would be a people, O Lord, that not only give of our time, but also of our assets, of our monies, of all that we are as living sacrifices to the Lord Jesus Christ. Instill within every member of Providence Presbyterian Church a heart that yearns to give self, to one another we pray O oh Lord that you'd use the diaconate as a model to this but that even our elders would represent this great grace among us and that we would be a congregation that gives rather than takes a congregation that gives the grace and truth of Christ that gives of ourselves and all that we are may we be a congregation that is characterized by our giving we think of that as it relates to Confex and his ministry. We thank you, O Lord, for our congregation in that regard. But we pray that by that giving, you would continue to stir up within us a culture of liberality even here. We do pray, O Lord, for the needs of the church. We think of the General Assembly that met last week, and we thank you for her work. We pray, O Lord, that the actions taken there would be received well by the church throughout uh, our commune. We pray, O Lord, that the work of the church there would be honoring to you, but also blessing to the churches under it. We pray also, O Lord, as we think of Father's Day, the fathers in this room, we pray, O Lord, for mercy, grace, and truth to be showered upon the fathers, and in that, O Lord, that our fathers, the men of our congregation would lead their families well in the Lord Jesus Christ. May be, may we be reminded of the book of Ephesians, where we are called to sacrifice ourselves as Christ sacrificed himself for the church. As our spouses, our children love us, O Lord, we pray that you would give us the great discretion that we find within your scriptures to love our families sacrificially. It is a difficult task you call the men of this congregation to. But we pray now that you would sow it within each and every one of our hearts. May we we be men that lead our children to the Lord himself. May we be men that lead our spouses regularly to the feet of Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 5 is where we'll have our sermon today. <clears throat> we take a break from the Gospel of Luke. You might say we had hardly started the Gospel of Luke, and that is true. Um, we were taking a break, though. I thought maybe I should delay Luke by a week or two just so that we wouldn't have to take a break after the first sermon. But nonetheless, I've decided this way, and so we will go this way. And so we'll be in Ephesians 5. You might say, why Ephesians 5? Well, partially the logistics of my last week warranted a text that I wasn't starting in a new series. I don't think it would have been wise for me or my family to pick up and continue in the book of Luke. And so Ephesians 5. It was the first text I was assigned to preach in my undergrad uh, when we were in preaching lab. And our professor went around the room and assigned passages. Some had great passages, some had less and more difficult passages than others but i was assigned ephesians 5 1 through 10. and so i thought well this isn't the most exciting text but as i have studied this text for the better part of a decade now it has become one of my favorite texts a text that i can tell you about all the variances found within a text that i've exhausted at least it it feels that way every resource on and so i thought it would be an easy text to write a sermon on every time I approach this text, whether it be teaching or preaching, I somehow walk away with a different idea concerning the text. It is the great truth of Scripture and its sufficiency, that even when we know a text well, that when we come back to that text, the Lord continues to reveal to us the great truth within that text, even new things as we approach it. And so a text that is well-worn in my Bible, I hope can be well-worn in yours, is Ephesians 5. Stand with me then. As we hear from ephesians 5 we'll pick up in verse 1 and i think perhaps today we'll go through verse 14 instead of 10. hear now the word of god in ephesians chapter 5. therefore be imitators of god as beloved children and walk in love as christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to god but sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness covetousness, in unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. This ends our epistle lesson, and this is the Word of God. You may be seated. Children like to be like their parents. We've talked about the idea of imitation maybe s- briefly in the book of Philippians. I think Paul uh, devotes perhaps a verse or two to the idea of imitation in that book, and I briefly described it there. But in this book, in the book of Ephesians, we get a nice long text exposition on what it looks like to imitate God the Father. Children like to be like their parents. Nothing warms a parent's heart more than when a child seeks to be like them. Like like a child trying to put on his father or mother's shoes, this is the text that is before us today. In the Edberg household, we have this family tradition. We don't have a lot of traditions because in the Edberg household, my mom overran my home with tradition, and so we are tradition light in our home but there is one tradition that we have every single day my children get to choose the bow tie that i wear or the tie today they chose a tie they get the nice honored privilege when they see the open collar of the shirt that it must be remedied with something and they scurry over to our uh, to our chest and they draw open the drawer and they begin to fiddle through all of the ties if it was their choice Every week I'd wear flamingos before you. Every day you'd see me, I'd be in my flamingo bow tie. They love the flamingos. But I must tell them there has to be a limit even on great things. And so today I have this great tie that is not even a bow tie. It is even greater though when our children want themselves to take on the tie. I, maybe is just an illustration, when John Owen, but a few years ago, had a shirt that he buttoned up. He looked, just as I did, for the tie that went with it. And there were many occasions on Sunday in Tuscumbia where we had walked to church together and his little bow tie, clipped on with two buttons, emulated his father. He was proud. He was excited. Unfortunately, as children do, they grow. We don't have a shirt for little John Owen to wear to mimic his father. But even today, our children, when they grab one of my ties, they wrap it around their neck. How does this thing go on. They want to imitate. Children want to be just like dad. They want to be just like mom. Children tend to imitate their parents and to imitate them well. This is both a good and bad thing. It is good when they imitate godly, great personalities. It's bad, though, when we see our own shortcomings with our children. A ruling elder in Mississippi once said, the hardest thing about parenting is seeing the worst of me in my child. And I'm sure every parent in this room Can empathize with that statement we all imitate something or someone so the question before us today is who do you imitate Paul uses the language of imitation to call us then to be imitators of God we are to imitate God because God is our father there is a relation between every person in here who professes the Lord Jesus Christ and the God of heaven And so Ephesians chapter 5 then for us today shows and reveals what does it mean to become an imitator of God. In order to be an imitator of God, Paul quite illustratively says we must learn to walk like Him. We must learn to walk in love. We must learn to live as He lives. We must learn to do as He does. We must learn to talk as He talks. We must learn... To become imitators. Who do you imitate? Do you imitate the culture and its values here today? I put you under a microscope. What's the DNA that I would see in your genetics? Who do you imitate? Do you imitate the Lord Jesus Christ and his father? Or do you imitate the prince of the earth and his followers? Are you a seed of Eve, as some professors of the Old Testament would say? Or are you a seed of Satan? Who? Do you imitate? Ephesians chapter 4, just in the previous passage that I read today, says give no opportunity to the the devil. And how do we do that? It is by being imitators of God. So as children of God, then, we must learn to imitate him. And this passage shows us how. In the first two verses, we see that in order to imitate God, we must walk in his love. That's what we see in verses 1 and 2. We must walk in his love, therefore be imitators of God as beloved, as loved children. We see that the origin of this imitation is actually found outside of ourselves. There is a presupposition in this passage that you who are called to imitate God are also those who are his beloved children. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? Are we to obey God, or are we called to get God's love by our obedience to Him, or are we His children first? This passage reveals that first you are His children, then you are given what is required of you. We are His beloved children. In order to walk the walk, we must recognize whose we are. Where does our love come from? It comes from outside ourselves and in God. In Psalm 1 that we read just a moment ago, we learned about the walking aspect of the life, that they were not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. Here, Paul uses that same illustration positively. We are to walk by the Spirit. The idea of walking, both within Ephesians and Psalm, is is what we associate ourselves with. Who do we sit with? Who do we walk with? Who do we talk with? Are we those who walk in the counsel of wicked, as Psalm 1 says, or are we those who walk in love with Christ himself? You know who you are by what you associate with in some regards. You saw me every morning at Goshen Coffee at 6 a.m. getting a local cup of joe. You would begin to associate my being with Goshen, for better and worse. For a great coffee, yes. Maybe for its political atmosphere, no. And I would be associated with both same. That's how Paul is using the idea of walking here. Who are you associated with? In order for us to imitate God as children, we must learn to walk with God. John, First John says quite well that we love because he first loved us. In order for us to love, in order for us to imitate, we must know where our love comes from. And that is from God himself. But you notice the relation I want you to impress upon you the relation. It's not just a friendly love. It's not how perhaps I love some of you or even some of my friends or maybe the local custard shops. It's not that kind of love that Paul is talking about here. It is a familial love. You are beloved children. This is your father. I grew up in a broken home, and I always thought of the idea of father negatively. And when I came, became a Christian, the Lord himself uprooted my understanding of fatherhood. Because God is now my father. It was a blessing to me when I recognized that I too had a father. Even in the midst of the absence of a father, there is a greater father, and he loved me. Even if my earthly father failed, or even if my earthly parents failed, he was the one that loved me. And so we must be careful then to note that our relationship with God, our starting relationship, and that obedience tied therein are, is not formed by our obedience. Uh, let, me, let me say that maybe a little more clearly. We must be careful to note that our obedience is not what forms our relationship with God. It is he chooses to enter relationship with us and then we learn how to live in that relationship in our lives. And so we learn love first and then we are called to obedience. But what does this love look like? Paul gives us a great example in, in verse two. And walk in love as Christ loved us. How did Christ love us? He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. How did you become a child of God? You became a child of God through the love of God in the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the emblem of God's love for you, that he spared not his own son that you might have life in him. It is a sacrificial love that God offers to you. And it is a sacrificial love, as we just prayed for, a love that we must have then for one another. The source of our sacrificial love then is not found within ourselves but it is found in the one that gave himself for us. That is what Ephesians 2:5:2 2, 2 says. Walk in love as Christ loved. Your love comes from him. His love is so great, so efficacious, so beneficial that it is viewed as a fragrant offering, an aroma and sacrifice to God. We covered the idea of this in Philippians a little bit. That, that is the idea re-impressed upon the Ephesian church here now. That the sacrifice of Christ and the love of Christ was a fragrant offering. It was pleasing to God. Sometimes when I'm cooking, I forget to turn the fan on, and, and sometimes I burn things, and it fills the whole house with a stench. You've had houses filled with stenches, whether it be from children or from your cooking, But what I do often after I burn something is I open up all the windows. I turn on the fan that I forgot to turn on in the first place. If it's really bad, I open a door. I let all the air in. I think I could fix this. I light a candle. I'm going to overwhelm this smell so that to my my shame when my wife comes in the room, she won't say that fateful comment that she always says when I burn something. What's going on in here? It never works. I'm never able to air out the room. The priests prepared the burnt offering in such a way that it would be a pleasing aroma that filled all the courts. It is perhaps as a family invited us into their home last night in this or yesterday uh, for lunch in their home, when we walked into the home, our senses were overwhelmed by the delightful scent of the food prepared for it. It was a great aroma. I was ready to eat. I, I, I was intoxicated to come in because of the great smell. That is the sort of fragrance that enters the courts of God's holy domain in the sacrifice of Christ. It draws in. It doesn't expel like my bad cooking. It draws in like the lunch drew us in yesterday. We need not know bell because the smell carried us in. That is like the death of Christ in the household of God. It permeates and fills God's holy assemblies. It's a fragrance that fills all That is in here. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says this about the love of Christ and his work. So now faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. This morning you might be grieving your own failures in life. You might be remembering that you aren't as great of a child of God as you ought to be. You might be the black sheep of God's household. At least perhaps that's how you feel. But you must remember that you are beloved children first. That God loves you. That He does indeed love you. You are precious to Him as a child. You are precious in His sight and His love is there for you. Live out what is already yours because God loves you. Even if you feel discontent with your own growth in the Lord Jesus Christ, you must remember that your life is a fragrant offering to God, not because of your own work, but because of the work of Christ in your stead. So you, then, can walk in love. You can walk not in your love, but his. As children of God, we must learn to imitate him. We first learned that you are to walk in his love. We had a very grace-filled first point. The second point, not so much. The second point is you must walk in his purity. Your beloved children first, and now obedience is expected of you, much like your own home, as we have children in our own homes, we, are, we love our children first, and then we give them some rules. We learn those rules, those codes, those household codes, codes in verse 3 through 6. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are all out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. After Paul says your origin in God's family is by the work of love in the Lord Jesus Christ, now he outlines what that love or life looks like as a child of God. What does that life look like as a child of God? Well, there are some rules. It's the same for the people of the Old Testament. As God saves the people in the Exodus, God saves them. And what does he do immediately after he saves them? He brings them to Sinai and he gives them the rules for now. This is how you are to live in my house. I have adopted you as my children. Now this is the rule that we play by. Every house has rules. There are things you can do and things you can't do. You can play with toys. You can wash your hands. There's a lot of things you can do. But there are some things you can't do. In every household, no matter what it is, there are things you can't do. The things we limit our own children from doing, they are not hopefully a bunch of feral children. There are limits to their lives. And it's for their own good. Things you can do. You can help. You can't be, as this passage says, immoral, impure, greedy, coarse joking. You can't hit your brother. You can't lose your mind because you're unable to share. Every house has rules. But even in your house, I would assume, especially for children who are young, when your child breaks the rules, they aren't cast out. We don't make John Owen or baby Charles sleep. On the porch when they' are bad, they still get their beds because they are beloved children and we teach them we teach them the rules of the road, the walk of purity but what sort of command is given in this household of God what is what are the rules that we play by? the simple rule could be this: avoid darkness. That is what Paul calls the Ephesians to is to avoid Darkness. Well, what are the two subheadings of darkness in this passage? I can sum that up even very quickly. It's to abstain from evil conduct. Don't do evil things. That's how you avoid darkness. But also to abstain from evil conversations. So there is the word and the action. Avoid darkness both by word and deed. I encouraged our ruling elders, at least privately, and individually what are we to pray for when we confess our sin to god i've sinned against you in thought word and deed that is the sort of darkness that we are to avoid but notice how the esv couches it we are to avoid this in such a way that it must not even be named among you you see as children of the household of god there is a reputation within that household And the reputation for those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, called children of God, the reputation is that darkness must not be even named among you. That is the call here. When I was in the South, there were many families who had names that were larger than life. Great influence, big names, Pillow, Barber, Duncan. Names that had exceptional weight tied to them. And for the children within those families, this sort of admonition must not even be named among you was important. Will you tarnish the family name? Will you ruin it? Or will you continue to maintain its great heritage? It's the same then true for the Christian, the Lord Jesus Christ. As we enter into relationship as children of God, are we going to maintain the name? that is given to us as children are we going to tarnish it are we going to not uphold the household colds are we are we going to be the disobedient child the prodigal perhaps who is disobedient Will we bring the name of darkness and shame upon the name of Christ by our conduct that's why Paul says it must not even be named among you is thinking of the household He's thinking of the household as the great example and emblem for how we relate to God. But he goes even further in verse 5. For you must be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral impure, or is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. For those who are made known by their character, if their profession is of darkness, they will know not God's kingdom. This isn't talking about... The, 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 the Christian who sins and, and has a, an issue with various temptations. This is about a person who spurns the name of Christ, who by every action and life choice proves themselves not to be a Christian. Though they may say it, everything in their life proves otherwise. This is the admonition that should weigh heavily on every one of us. Are we these things. that should spur us to confession. But notice also in 1 Corinthians, as we were reminded of today, and as it were, some of you, you're washed, you're sanctified, you are justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. Every one of us at one point was in darkness. Every one of us has the same or perhaps similar checkered past. Darkness then is always calling. It's always beckoning our hearts back. I remember when I came to faith, I thought it'd all be easy. All my sin is dealt with and I'm now in the Lord. But it's not that way. Often, the sins of my youth beckon me back. They call upon me. The darkness that I have now rejected calls upon me to return. Some, sometimes that is by way of old friendships that seek rekindling. But others, is by my own nature as I am tempted towards certain sins. In verse 6, we have the warning, let no one receive the, with you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Drawing back to, to Psalm 1 then, reminds us that those who we sit with Those who we stand with, those who we walk with, have influence in our lives. And we must be careful. We must be careful and zealously protect the reputation of God by seeking to maintain the codes among us. Again, these codes do not save you. So if you think that these codes, these household codes to avoid darkness, save you from death, that's not the purpose here. The purpose of these household codes are for your own benefit. I don't want Charles to jump out of his high chair onto the floor, not because uh, he is disobedient to me and, and that, and I want to restrain his freedom. I don't want him to do that because I know it would hurt him. And so these codes that Paul outlines here from God to us are meant for our good, for our purity. It's for us to grow in grace and truth, for us to have better lives. We want to prepare our children well, and God wants to prepare His children well to come home in everlasting life. And so these codes, though you might be tempted to take them in a self-righteous way, are not meant to be taken that way. They're meant to be for your good and His glory, their guidance to live a life well for Christ. And in college, these codes seem so cumbersome to me and to many at my school. But they are for my good. I have a better life when I conform myself to the standards of Christ himself. My children have a better life when they conform themselves to the standards of our home insofar as we have good standards. We are called to walk in purity. As children, you must learn to imitate him. You imitate his love. You imitate his purity. And finally, you must learn to walk in his light. We see this throughout these last seven or so verses, I'm trying, I won't, uh, uh, this point shouldn't be no longer than the last, uh, if you're worried that we're only a quarter of the way through the sermon. The last point seeks to impress upon us that this life as a child of God with the conduct of God therein produces people of light, not people of darkness. Therefore, do not become partners with them. We've touched that just a bit. For one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. This continues the admonition from the previous point. Do not partner with those who are within darkness. Do not partner with those who are evildoers. My, or the greatest fear of many children in darkness uh, remains that, that uh, we are many I should say, of children within our homes, and for parents that is, is that they will slide through, I guess, and become a child of darkness. They won't live as how we taught them. And so what we are reminded here is reminded of whose we are in the Lord Jesus Christ and what that looks like as children of light. You see, darkness, as I am often reminded of, at least illustratively, is the absence of light. When I would work on my car in Tuscumbia, for some reason the home was not fitted with electricity in the garage. It was detached from the home. So there there was one light bulb that failed to work. And I didn't feel the need to call in all the deacons to fix it. And so we always had light problems. It was a dark garage. But I like to work on my cars. And so the dark garage proved very cumbersome, especially at night after work. And I remember having to buy all of these rigs of lights just to see what I was doing. And, and the dark garage often, when you'd light it up, when you'd light it up with those rigs of light, darkness would expel and flee as quick as possible. It would flee to the corners of the room. The same true in moral darkness. When light exposes moral darkness, it flees. You think of any politician today, when when their corruption is brought to the light, when it is revealed, it flees. You want to distance yourself as quick as you can from it. Some politicians may dig their heels in, but who wants to be associated with someone who is morally bankrupt and corrupt? It flees. At one time, you were part of this darkness but now it flees you even as it seeks to beckon you. It flees you because you are now children of light. What does this light look like? It's so intangible, it's illustrative. Paul illustrates it with those parentheticals in verse nine. It's found in all that is good, right, and true. It is true moral goodness. When Christ saves you, when the Spirit enters you, What is good, right, and true also enters you. And in that entering, though it may seem like a flicker at times, especially early on, that light begins to grow and that light shines. It reveals what is good. It reveals what is right. It reveals what is true. And now that you have this light within you, you have the great task, as verse 10 says, to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Now that you have this light that reveals, you can see clearly what is dark. Nothing makes a father prouder or a mother prouder than a child who succeeds. Whether that be learning to walk or talk or play sports well, when your child does well, you are proud of their work. And the same is true for God in our relationship to us. When he when he peers upon us and we are being beacons of light, a, a city on a hill, a light on a lampstand for his sake. He is pleased. It pleases the Lord when we discern what is right. It's like, as we've talked before, when a child in your home finally chooses to do what is right, not because you have forced them. It brings joy to the household. He chose what is right. You would permit me one more personal illustration. And when I was in Mississippi, as anywhere... My youth group, as always, every Saturday, would go to watch Ole Miss. And I always lamented the work of watching my entire youth group go to Ole Miss because nothing good, I should be careful, they may watch and might have admonitions on high, but they would travel to Oxford and the Grove would be just filled with all sorts of debauchery, all sorts of drinking, and it didn't matter how old you were, you would join in. And so I always loathed my entire youth group going. And that Sunday evening, they would be back. They had all just gone back. They all missed church, of course. They went to church in Oxford. And I would wonder what they did on Friday and Saturday that week. But to my own chagrin and my own delight, I remember one of these families. I mentioned them earlier just a moment ago. I was talking with them, the, the parents, and, and they weren't like the rest their daughter was very academically astute, one of the brightest people that I've ever met. And I remember hearing about all of the work that they did, both in Oxford, and then they came home to homecoming, and I was like, this is just a terrible week for my youth ministry. But she came home from a party, and I remember sitting with her parents, I was visiting with them, and they asked, what did you do at the party? And and the daughter herself, was grotesquely appalled by the actions of the party. She was 17 at the time, and not a typical 17-year-old. But she railed against the drinking uh, that the kids were doing for their homecoming. Maybe some of you are such guilty of this, but not this girl. She made her parents proud. She made her parents proud because everything they had taught her had come to fruition in that moment. They taught her, you don't need these things in order to have a good time. You don't need to be disobedient to have a great time. That is where the light shines. That is discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. That is discerning what is pleasing to the parents. Augustine of Hippo said this Do not believe that you yourself are a light. The light is that which illuminates every person that has come into the world in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the reaction of being a light in verse 11 through 13. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of these things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed to the light, it then is made visible. Like this dear sister in Mississippi, or perhaps even in your homes today. When you choose by your own volition to do what is right, it is pleasing to the Lord because you are imitating those first two points in him. You are all children. You must learn to imitate the one who you call Father. It seems then fitting to remind you, though we did not read it today, we read it last week of Westminster Shorter Catechism 1, What is the chief end of man? Your chief end as children of God is to enjoy God. It is to enjoy God and to be faithful to him. To enjoy him and to glorify him forever. We then end with Ephesians 5, 14. Awake then, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pray with me. O Lord, shine upon us. Shine upon us as your children, and teach us to walk in light. It's in Christ's holy name that we pray. Amen.